I'll give you $10,000 to drive me to Paris. I can't remember anything that happened before two weeks ago. Trained by the government. You've got a black ops agent who's off the reservation. Taught to disappear. I don't even know who I'm hiding from. I gotta figure this out. Born to survive. You! Stop right there! On June 14th, Matt Damon. This is not gonna stop. Is Jason Bourne. What are you gonna do? I'm full of surprises. The Bourne Identity. Rated PG-13. At theaters Friday, June 14th. On this week's episode of the Couch Brotato podcast, we bring to you the Born Identity. Okay, welcome back to the Couch Brotato podcast. I'm your master of ceremonies, Russ. Lucas, you're back for another week. I'm surprised. <laughs> Two in a row, baby. I'm on a roll. Uh, to quote uh, a scene from Major League, that's two in a row. That's called a winning streak. That is correct. And also joining us is our producer, Adam, who's pretty much become like the third member of this team now. Adam, how you doing, man? Not too bad. Not too bad. Glad to be back. Good deal. Uh, this is actually your pick tonight. Uh, I yes. think we were supposed to do Airplane. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. uh, I was asking you guys what uh, you wanted to do this week, and Adam suggested this one, and I thought it was perfect. Yes. It, have, it is a great movie. We haven't done a, a very, spy very movie yet, movie. so that was like, Okay, sure, I'm I'm in. Yeah, I'm actually surprised our first spy movie is this and not like a Bond movie. Well, I've actually got uh, something I kind of want to touch on, so we'll get into that here in a minute. But yeah, Sounds like, good. Uh, yeah, I'm a little surprised we didn't do a Bond movie first, but I think this is a really good one to do. So yeah. Um, that being said, I'm going to go right into the tale of Tate because there's a lot of uh, shit in this movie, especially behind the scenes. I kind of want to dig into a little bit, so uh, we'll roll into the tale of the tape. Plus, we forgot to do it till halfway through the episode last week, but luckily we've got an awesome editor slash producer that fixed all that for us. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, tale of the tape for the born identity is what we're doing this week, guys. If I didn't say that already, uh, tale of the tape, uh, born identity was released on June the fourteenth, two thousand and two. This stars Matt Damon, Franca Patente, Chris Cooper, Clive Owen, Brian Cox, and Julia Stiles. Directed by Doug Lyman. Uh, the box office was $214 million on a $60 million budget. This has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 83% from critics, 93% from audiences, and you can currently see any of the Bourne movies on Peacock right now. So... Once you get done listening to us, you can head over to Peacock TV, do a free trial, and watch the Bourne movies if you want to. Strongly encourage it because they are really good movies. They are. Indeed. Well, four of the five. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, that uh, leads me into uh, first thing I want to talk about. Uh, <clears throat> they uh, This movie spawned four sequels, three that have Matt Damon, then they did the Bourne Legacy with Jeremy Renner, and they did a TV show called Treadstone. Did either one of you guys check out the TV show? I did not. Um, what? It looked I'm, interesting. Yeah. What channel was that even on? It was on USA. I remember, like, I'm a huge wrestling fan, and it used to, uh, they promoted it, like, on Monday Night Raw all the time. Like, coming up after Raw, Treadstone. I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> like, cool. Zang. Yeah, that's kind of how it was. Like, eh, it didn't have anybody from the movies. I don't really care. So, um, 
Well, you kind of brought this up a minute ago, Lucas. Uh, you were surprised we didn't do a Bond movie. I kind of noticed that spy movies changed after this one. How so? Um, well, if you notice, like, the last uh, Pierce Brosnan, James Bond movies were kind of, like, over the top, and it almost got to be a bit cheesy. And then after yeah. uh, Born Identity came out, uh, since this one's kind of more grounded in reality, they have a grittier style that uh, the Bond movies kind of took a step back and did the same thing. Yeah, I would agree with that. I feel like this one, they tried to make it more realistic on purpose. And uh, I believe they even got, uh, I watched the special features because I'm a nerd like that. They even got a, uh, a former, uh, um, I think it was FBI. I don't know if it was CIA guy. Uh, to like watch the movie and like comment on how realistic it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, did like, this movie. Go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna say, did this movie have kind of like a fugitive feel to you? It the does a little bit. I mean, it's a man on the run, but it's like he's trying to figure out who he is. Yeah, it, it definitely has a fugitive feel to it. I I feel like Jason Bourne has more control of the situation, even though he's not in control too. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think that. Um, any uh, at any time at all, Harrison Ford had control in the fugitive. Yeah, he's basically kind of reacting the entire time to what's going on around him, and he's basically basing his actions off of what's happening to him. Whereas Jason Bourne's yeah. kind of like you said, controlling the situation a little bit. But I mean, like for me, like yeah, like I noticed like Bond decided to go like they went from like in Goldeneye they have like the scene where Pierce Brosnan's driving the tank through. Uh, Red Square, they have like, you know, all the elaborate stunts, uh, kind of the over-the-top stuff that was kind of really weighing that series down towards the end where it was almost kind of looking dated. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, once Bourne came out, it's like, okay, well, you can make a really effective spy movie by basing it more in reality. Uh, you don't have to rely on so many big set pieces. You can, like, just create really good tension. Yeah. And you can just create a, a really as long as the story's good, you can make a good spy movie. Well, yeah. and like like Adam said, they brought in a a consult for the movie. I mean, shit, Hollywood, you got plenty of money. There's no reason you can't make it, you know, a little more realistic and entertaining. Yeah. Right. Well, I think that was a thing for a long time too. Action movies in general were like really reliant on like let's blow up as much shit as we can. Um I was uh, I caught like a little bit of the rock on TV a couple days ago. And it made me think about that. Like, or even like true lies is another example. Like, you know, the scene where Arnold's trying to save Jamie Lee Curtis and they're driving that limo on the Florida Keys, shit's blown up around them. It's just like, okay, that's cool. And it's grounded in the nineties, but like that doesn't really work as well today. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Um, I don't know. I, I, I trust that Arnold could fucking save her out of that limo. <laughs> Well, I, I could, think, too. You know it was going to happen, but... I think there's a place for uh, cheesy action movies with large explosions, and then there's an, a, another place for movies that are more grounded in reality now. But mm. I think that this is the more modern of the two kind of styles of action movie, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I actually... Gl I'm glad that this came out, because I don't think we would have gotten, like, the new Bond movies, which it seems to be a, f a problem that, that they have, but the Bond movies seem to be, like, one will be good, one will be bad... One will be good, one will be bad. So I'm hopefully I'm hoping that the new one's good, but we also wouldn't yeah. have gotten Taken. Taken's kind of uh, designed in the same way as the Bourne movies. Mm -hmm. 
which is taking the John yeah, movie. That, that's a good point. Yeah, John Wick. Yeah. yeah, John Wick. Although John Wick, I think John Wick's a little bit of both worlds because two and yeah. three kind of has more of a superhero quality, just like let's see how bad we can beat him up and him keep coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, uh, we were talking about like, we're glad this came out. Actually, I was doing some research and it's all movie almost didn't even come out. Uh, very famous, uh, shooting troubles that were, uh, on the set. Um, I actually created a new category just for this movie. This might be the only time we do it. I don't know. We may come across another movie that has a shitload of drama, but I'm going to call this category behind the scenes drama. Pretty straightforward, nice. right? <laughs> I couldn't come up Cleveland with Cleveland Browns dumpster fire. I couldn't come up with a good name for the category and it may not come back. So I'm not going to invest too much of my time into it. Um, first off, uh, they wanted the universal wanted, uh, them to shoot this movie in Montreal to pose as Paris, but Doug Lyman was insistent on being shot in Paris because he said that there's no city that looks like Paris. I, I wouldn't know, but I would expect not. I mean, there's so many, you know, older buildings, so much history in that city. I'm sure it mm-hmm. has a particular look. that's really hard to replicate. Right. No matter where, I mean, Montreal or wherever, fake set, it's really hard to replicate. Yeah. Um, Universal wanted more action sequences put into the script. Uh, and I guess Matt Damon hated that idea so much they were changing the original script that he almost uh, left the movie if they didn't go back to Tony Gilroy's original script. Okay. It's a good call by him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess going back to that original idea caused a production delay because they had to rework the whole shooting schedule around going back to the old script. Uh, let's see. Another thing is the movie fell behind schedule as the original producer had to leave the set for a family emergency and they really didn't have anybody experienced because Doug Lyman had come from being like a smaller movie director. He had done swingers and he didn't go before this. Okay. So this is like a much bigger scale he's uh, working on. And then I guess uh, apparently uh, Lyman's insistence to leave scenes in from the earlier scripts, including the farmhouse scene. Which, Which uh, is a fantastic scene. It, it is. is. Uh, and it's Doug necessary Lyman, to the movie. Sorry. Yeah. It's necessary to the movie. Well, that's one of the I reasons why uh, Matt Damon and Doug Lyman fought for that because they said that it's kind of integral to uh, for audiences to understand who Jason Bourne is. But you kind of get a little bit of uh, how Treadstone works in that scene, too. Um, Frank Marshall, who's a uh, very infamous producer, was brought on to keep filming on track. And I guess uh, Doug Lyman had convinced them to get more money and time from Universal to film the scene. And I guess during that, Tony Gilroy was faxing in reworks of the script on a daily basis, which also slowed down production too. Um, I don't, I don't want to like jump ahead in your notes. Um, I did see that Doug Lyman, like there was one point where he asked for more time on a scene, more money. They told him no, and he said, fuck you, and went and did it anyway. Yeah, actually, I uh, <laughs> I had that as the next point I was going to make. So well, you did jump ahead a we're, little bit. See, I'm, I'm back for two weeks in a row, and we're back on the same wavelength. Yeah, or you're just fucking up my rhythm. Whichever. <laughs> 
Hey, either one I'm good with. <laughs> yeah, as Lucas was saying, though, uh, he went ahead and filmed. He just started doing shit whether the studio told him it was okay or not. Um, tensions between Doug Lyman and Universal got so bad that the only way that the two parties can communicate with one another was through Matt Damon. Um, that reminds me of, like, we had a former boss at work that, for whatever reason, refused to talk to Russ. So he would talk through other people like will you tell russ this when russ is like five feet away yeah i I always thought that was really weird yeah we're not children here i must have been doug lyman and he was uh universal studios he just wanted to reenact that at work (laughs) uh the last bit of uh drama that i have is uh universal wanted to uh have a huge action set piece for the finale after the initial cut, received a lukewarm response from test audiences, so they had to pay an additional $8 million for reshoots. Uh, That caused the movie to uh, get its release date pushed back from September 7th, 2001, to May 31st, 2002, which, actually, looking back in hindsight, was probably a good idea. Yeah. Because I don't know if you guys remember, like, yeah, movie theaters were, like, just in the shit for a while after Mm 9-11. I, I don't remember that, but I can imagine. I mean, it was a scary time to go anywhere. You never knew what was Yeah, going I remember there was uh, – I, I think a lot of the reason why Zoolander didn't do very well was because of that because it came out, I think, on like right after September 11th, and like nobody went and seen it. And go, theaters, at least around here, were ghost towns. Yeah, I don't remember uh, theater Sorry, a lot go ahead, Adam. I don't remember going to the theater a lot around then. Like, I, I think this is the first movie that I saw – post 9-11 mm-hmm. yeah it was just really strange it's kind of like how they are now in some areas like it's just nobody going it's really weird um yeah on a side note to that it was really nice to see all the people there for black widow with us yeah. you know even you know the people that we didn't know right yeah even though that guy tried to his butthole tried to eat my straw and my cup so lucas was <laughs> nice enough to let me have his uh cup holder I got you, man. I got you. Uh, They actually uh, had to move the release date back again from uh, May 31st to June 14th because uh, there was another movie coming out called Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, which had Matt Damon as a voice. So they didn't want to go head-to-head with that, which Mm -hmm. I honestly don't even remember that movie. Like, I never – I forgot all about that movie until I did the research for this. And there a sequel coming out, too? Didn't I say something about another Spirit movie? Yeah, it's yeah. out right now. It's on video on demand now. It's pretty coincidental that that, that comes up mm-hmm. when we're watching this. I don't know. That's just the way my mind works. I'm sorry. Yep. So that's kind of the, the backstage drama for this. I mean, I just thought it was kind of cool and it's kind of nice to touch on it. Because, like, yeah. yeah, shit like that, like, and I even remember reading, because I used to read Entertainment Weeklies a lot around this time. And, all the shit that was going on with that. And then usually when a movie has to go through massive reshoots like that, and there's all this behind the scenes drama, like it's going to be a turd when it comes out. Yeah. This one's the exact opposite. It actually is really good. So I wonder, is the, is the sequence they're talking about, is that the safe house, the reshoot? Is that the safe house? I, I know when I was doing the research, I couldn't really figure it out. I don't know. Is that, is I that think it is. It's every, things? I think it's everything post the farmhouse because it seems uh, like that sequence doesn't see, it feels like it's shoehorned into the rest of the movie 
I know that there is an alternate ending to it, and you can see it on. Um, I know there's an alternate ending on the DVD copy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. It, it's really different. It's weird. Yeah, it just like, like I watched it today, and it just it feels like it doesn't seem to have the same tone that the rest of the movie does. Yeah, it doesn't, and. I think part of it was like he like slipped and hit his head and the entire movie is like playing out and then he like gets up too. Isn't that part of it? I'm pretty sure. I think so. Yeah. But yeah, behind the scenes, baby movie mama drama. And that's a horrible (laughs) name for that. Just scratch that if you can. Nope. I liked it. (laughs) All right. Well, William Somerset research corner, uh, the Born Identity is based off a novel by Robert Ludlum, and out of the five Born movies that they did, this is the only one that has any resemblance to the books on which it's based. The other ones are strictly original screenplays, and they just use the book titles. Mm-hmm. Now, I wonder, did they consult with him? Well, Robert, Lu- just- Robert Ludlum had died in post-production for this one. He died like a couple months before this, this one came out. Yeah. Oh, okay. And they and already own the rights to them, so pretty much they can do whatever they want with them after that. Yeah. Having, having read the books, they're so much more complicated than the movies are. You don't know who is working for who, and yeah, I've read odd. I've read yeah. the Born Identity, and yeah, it's like yeah, I'm glad that they did it like this because yeah, you would have been totally confused watching that as a movie. Yeah, I ain't read shit. Well, I don't know, like. The, the Bourne movies are kind of like books for like old guys. There's that, and there's like the that what's that series on Am- Bosch is another one, and like any of the John Grisham stuff. That's like old dad dad books. Yeah. So and get on my Reeboks and my knee highs and read some spy thrillers. Yep. <laughs> I gotta take a shit. I'm gonna grab the new Ludlum book. <laughs> Um, Brad Pitt was offered the role of Jason Bourne but turned it down for Spy Game Lyman had also met with Sylvester Stallone and Russell Crowe about playing Jason Bourne Hmm. I could see Brad Pitt I'd buy him but Stallone no and Mm -hmm. I don't know about Russell Crowe he could probably pull it off back then he's not like he wasn't like some fat, dumpy weirdo like he is in his newer movie. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I couldn't believe like that opening sequence of that movie. Like you can hear him out of breath, and I don't know if that's like him acting because he he basically beats somebody up in their house, or he's like legitimately out of breath from walking from inside of a house to his car. <laughs> I'm not okay with Maximus looking like me. Or me, yeah, husky. Um, Sarah Polly, who you may remember from uh, the Dawn of the Dead remake, and she was also in Go. She was offered the female lead, but she turned it down, which kind of sad. Sarah Polly's a really good actress, too, but she's kind of weird about what she does. <clears throat> this one I thought was super funny, and I kind of wish they would have made this just so I could see it. Uh, Universal tried to make this movie in 1983, with Burt Reynolds as Jason Bourne. (laughs) (laughs) I would have loved that. What kind of car does this guy drive? 
Imagine, imagine that chase sequence in Paris, but with that, was that a Firebird or a Trans Am <laughs> and a giant oh, truck? Man, that'd, be, that'd be so cool. Yeah. Um, Lucas, you and I were talking about this, uh, was it last night or this morning, that uh, Doug Lyman flew himself to Robert Ludlum's home to secure the film rights for the movie. Yeah, that's, and I, that's why, you know, that gives me a little more respect for this movie even more than I had. I mean, I already really love the movie, but that's like, that's a passion project right there. Yeah. I guess, uh, he had just received his pilot's license and that's the first thing he did. And he almost ran out of gas getting back home because he, (laughs) (laughs) so, so he goes and gets the rights and he's like, ah, fuck it. I'm dead. Yeah. Um, Brian Cox and Chris Cooper shot all of their scenes in five days. Oh, wow. And then they they came back when they had to do the reshoots. But, man, how would you like to make, like, a couple million dollars for five days of work? I know. I would, I would like to make a couple million dollars for any days of work. <laughs> That's true. Five, ten, fifteen, twenty, whatever. 365? Yeah. I'll work every day for an entire year to live off that. Um, the last one I got is originally Doug Lyman and Matt Damon debated killing off Jason Bourne at the end of this movie. They thought that it would be a satisfactory ending to the movie, but then, of course, they decided not to. Because um, if they didn't, we wouldn't have gotten the sequels, and for me, the best sequence in the whole series is the opening of the Bourne Supremacy. I really like that sequence, too. Yeah, like I that... It, but I really like it. There's not a lot that really shocks me in a movie, but when that shit goes down, I'm like, holy shit, they did it. Yeah. I don't know how satisfactory it would have been for me if Jason Bourne was killed off either, to be honest. Well, I mean, I could see them doing it because I don't think they had high hopes for this being a franchise. So, I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, like, as long as he figured out who he was or he kind of had an idea and he stopped them from doing that going forward, then yeah, I could see them that being okay if he sacrifices himself or he loses his life doing it. But they didn't, yeah. so it ended up coming out for the best. It's true. I'm, uh, I'm glad they didn't kill him off because then my favorite line wouldn't carry as much weight. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't even have said it, so. <laughs> um, do either one of you guys have anything you want to add? Lucas, I'll start with you. Yeah, um, I saw Matt Damon was surprised when he was offered the role because in the book, uh, Bourne is, an, is a much older man. Mm-hmm. Um, Lyman told me, though, he didn't want to do James Bond. He saw it more as European Nikita. Very so, underrated I don't know. Uh, action movie, too, La Femme Nikita. Yeah, I remember the series being on USA talking about, oh, you know, during wrestling and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. I remember to... in the old days. Yeah, he used to come on right after Monday Night Raw. Yep. Just like Treadstone. <laughs> um, I also saw uh, Doug Lyman set out to make this film the like, with the feel of Run, Lola, Run. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie. I have. It's awesome. Yeah, and it's kind of it's kind of like that thing. And well, he kind of like that feel. Yeah, he liked it so much he cast the lead. Right. I was gonna say. Yeah, she's uh she's in this movie as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in an earlier draft of the screenplay, Marie was American. 
Um, well, I guess that makes sense hair. if they offered it to Sarah Polly. Yeah, so in, in the final drafts, they changed it to Kreutz, and her nationality was changed to German, and she had multicolored hair. Mm-hmm. So, And also, this one I thought was really interesting. Um, there are no opening credits besides the title card. Yeah, I noticed that so this, today. I, I love it when they do that. She's like, just, just get right into the movie. Yeah, they just fucking jump right in. I thought that was really cool. I don't need to know who does catering for this till the end. <laughs> well, I do. No, I'm just kidding. I don't Joe's Snack Shack. Cater. cater all the sandwiches on set. Adam, do you have anything you want to add? I only have a couple of things. I don't have a lot. Um, uh, one thing that I thought was kind of interesting was they don't uh, – they don't mention uh, Brian Cox's character or Chris Cooper's character by name until the end credits, uh, Abbott and Conklin, um, which I thought was kind of weird. Um, going through the movie again, I kind of like tried to listen for it, but <laughs> they don't mention them by name. Uh, they only do it in the second and the third movies. Um, and then uh, I didn't really have any other research other than the stuff that you guys already touched on, so... Well, like I said, I had a ton, a ton of stuff, so yeah, wasn't needed. So, some pretty cool stuff there. Uh, now we'll go ahead and dive into. Guys, want to do best scene? Let's do it. All right. Okay. The I drink your milkshake award for the best scene of the movie. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Um, I have a few nominees here. It was kind of hard to narrow them down to five, but I think I did it. Um, these uh, bank sequence, Zurich, I thought that was really cool. Uh, we kind of figure out who, we start to figure out who Jason Bourne is, so we're kind of like, the audience is finding out the same time Matt Damon's character does. Mm-hmm. Plus, I don't know why, like, just when, in movies, when they have like a Swiss bank account, or like a safety deposit box, and it's got like cash and guns, it never goes wrong. Right. Always cool to see that. Like, I kind of, when this movie came out, I kind of hoped that at one point that, like, I am living a different life and then, like, somebody gives me, like, the code to, like, a Swiss bank account somewhere and I've got, like, a shitload of money and passports somewhere locked up. I doubt it, but it'd be cool. Apparently all the wild shit happens in Switzerland. <laughs> shit be wild and yo. <laughs> Make them Swiss army knives and fucking rule the world. Mm-hmm. Um... I have as the second scene is the embassy escape. thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. I kind of get to see uh, Jason Bourne in action. He kicks the shit out of some of the guards there. And then uh, I really like how everything that he needs to get out of there falls into place. Like he's walking through. He sees the uh, fire, like the evacuation map right as he's walking. So he snatches that and he ends up beating up the guy and steals his radio like 10 seconds later. Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite things about Jason Bourne is, like, in every single movie, he does stuff on the go. Like, in, I, even though it's not as great of a movie, the last movie, uh, when he's in Nevada and he's, like, in that convention center, he pulls the hat off of the one guy and puts it on because he knows that they're looking for a certain person. Mm-hmm. And he puts the hat on just to blend in. Yeah. I, I, like, I like when Jason Bourne does that in chase sequences. So cool. Plus, we get to see him scale, like, the walls of the embassy, which I guess he actually did. Yeah. 30 feet of it, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Yikes. 
Um, the third scene that I have is the fight scene in Bourne's Paris apartment. Uh, never seen anybody defeat a man with a pen before until this movie came out. Yeah, cool. It worked. Um, I was curious about the uh, the style of martial arts that he did. Um, apparently, it's a combination of Filipino Kali and Bruce Lee's uh, Jeet Kune Do, mm-hmm. which uh, basically I think the disciplines is they you use your opponent's energy against them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah. I like that sequence just because, like, yeah, uh, Castell uses a knife and Jason Bourne uses a pen, and Jason Bourne wins. Yeah. <laughs> The pen is indeed mightier than the sword. Uh, fourth scene that I have is the Paris car chase scene. Uh, I always like uh, car chase scenes in Europe anyways. Like Ronan is a really good car chase sequence, and that's primarily a European espionage movie too. Um, yeah. I think it really works in this one because of how like it seems like Paris has like is really tight and confined, and mm-hmm. you're using a Mini Cooper, a beat-the-shit one at that. That's one of my favorite things, too, is it's not like some souped-up, like, spy mobile. It's just this really crappy car. Mm-hmm. And he asks her how it handles before he even starts it up. Yep. And she says it drifts to the right. Um, also, like, between, like, them using, like, a shitty car and then, like, how they manage to use how small that car is to navigate through Paris, uh, that Ready, Steady, Go song uh, yeah. is used in it, too. And that's kind of, like, a really cool change of pace. It's usually like you get like some big elaborate score for these chase sequences and they just use that instead. Mm-hmm. And uh, Paul Oakenfold, uh, the guy that does that song, got some mileage out of that song too. It was used in this and then it was used in Collateral too. The sequence where uh, Tom Cruise gets into that uh, gunfight in the nightclub. Song oh, used okay. there too. Works yeah. well in both those scenes. So go Paul Oakenfold. And then the last sequence I have is uh, The Farmhouse. Uh, really good cat and mouse game between uh, Clive Owen and Matt Damon in that. Yeah. And uh, we kind of learn how fucked up Treadstone really is by the, what, minute and a half of dialogue Clive Owen has. Mm-hmm. Talks about headaches and, like, look what it's made you do. And, like, damn. I don't want to work for Treadstone now. I don't want a safety deposit box in Zurich with money in it. I do, but without the Treadstone part. Yeah, okay, fair the, enough. The murdering people. Yeah, fair enough. Like, just give it to me. Like, just say I want it, like, some contest. MTV sponsors, like, the Born Ultimatum. And it's just like you win a safety deposit box in Zurich with, like, money and guns and passports. Uh, Adam, do you have any extra scenes you want to add to that? Uh, I would like to add the, uh, the ending scene. Um, in the safe house. I think that's a really cool scene, especially how it ends um, uh, with Conklin getting out of the car. Uh, I really like that scene. Um, I, I, I just think it's really cool, like flashing back to all the stuff with Wombosi and him finally figuring out who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and also riding a body all the way down five, five oh, stories yeah. and fucking landing on cool. it to break your fall. <laughs> I think all of us have done that at one time or another. Uh, Lucas, do you have anything else you want to add? Um, I did like the opening scene as well when he was, you know, on the boat with the Italian mm-hmm. uh, doctor. He's yeah. on the the fishing boat. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. I really like that. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. 
No, no, you're good. I, that's the only other scene that I had extra. I had all the other ones that you guys mentioned in there. I really like that scene because uh, of him asking himself who he is in like several different languages. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, I want to give it to the uh, car chase scene just because I love car chases and like it seems like they're a dime a dozen anymore. But like the fact that they managed to put a new spin on it, I thought was really cool. And then mm-hmm. usually that's the scene if I see it on TV, I'm watching the rest of the movie. I really want to give it to that as well, but I really like um, I really like the farmhouse scene where he is playing cat and mouse with Clive Owen. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to agree with Russ on this. I was going to give it to the car chase scene. Um, one of the biggest reasons, and, I, and there's a line in there that I find just absolutely fucking hilarious. He's like, uh, "We're going to have a little bump coming up," and he drives down some fucking stairs. Like, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was kind of funny too. Yeah. Um, well, hey, you know what? We'll give it to, to both scenes. That farmhouse scene is really good, too, and I'm glad that they fought to keep that in there. Plus, I, like, I really like Clive Owen, which I'll get. We'll get to Clive Owen here in a minute. So, all right, double winners, car chase scene and then the farmhouse. Can't go wrong with either. No, you cannot. Uh, now uh, we'll go ahead and uh, dive into the King Kong and Got Shit on Me Award for Best Line of the Movie. King Kong ain't got shit on me. Um, this one was kind of tough. Like, there's really not a lot of awesome dialogue that stands out. This is the one that took me forever to narrow it down, just because I couldn't really find anything that was like four or five nominees that were really worthwhile. Just because, for the most part, it's the action does most of the talking in the movie. Yeah, which I'm cool with. Um. I have uh, who has a safety deposit box full of money, six passports, and a gun. I mean, I'd probably ask the same thing if I didn't know who I was. Um, I really like uh, Conklin says you're a uh, you're a U.S. government property. You're a malfunctioning thirty million dollar weapon. Yep, which is I true. Like that one as well. Uh, I look feel at, like you're reading my list. Yeah, <laughs> I probably am. Uh, look at this. Look at what they made you give from the professor. So it's kind of like, mm-hmm. man, like, yeah, Treadstone really fucks people up. And then uh, I'm on my own side now, which Jason Bourne says uh, to Conklin and near the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. So those are the four that I got. Uh, you guys got anything you want to add to that? I do, actually. Um, I really like the, uh, the end scene uh, where he goes into Marie's shop at the end and he asks to rent a vehicle. And she says, do you have ID? And he's like, not really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I like that. that scene almost made the cut for like one of my best scenes in the movie. I really like that scene just because like they both kind of, it's like they're starting a new life for themselves because uh, Marie's life was kind of in the shit before she met him and his yeah. was too. And I was like, they have this fresh start. Kind of like that scene too. Um, and then uh, I, the reason why I agree with you on um, the look at what they make you give um is uh not from this movie but from uh the born ultimatum right before he jumps off the roof he actually says that to the assassin that's going to shoot him mm-hmm. he actually repeats that from uh Clive Owen 
which is why it's my favorite line in the entire movie and probably the entire series. Yeah, that one's good. Lucas, do you have anything you want to add to this before we uh, hand out the award? Yeah, um, a lot of mine are Conklin, uh, which you had one of mine, the uh, your U.S. government property. Uh, that line I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, when Conklin's talking to Abbott, he says, well, why don't you go upstairs and book a conference room? Maybe you can talk him to death. <laughs> I, I <laughs> laughed at that today, too. It's just Conklin's such a prick. Mm-hmm. And then um, when Bourne is showing up to the hotel in Paris, Conklin goes, great police work, really brilliant. Why don't they just ha- hang a banner out that says, don't come back. Jesus Christ, what is the French word for stakeout, huh? <laughs> yeah, those are good, too. Um, is that all you guys got? That's all I got. Uh, I'm probably inclined to give it to uh, the uh, look at this, look at what they make you give, just because it's like it kind of resonates to the rest of the movie. Mm. Like he can't live a, a normal life because of Treadstone. Yeah, I, I really like that line, and it stuck with him too. Uh, I mean, if he's saying it to another assassin two movies later, you know. Mm-hmm. A whole two movies later? A whole two movies later. Now, I forget I, how many years are in between them, but yeah. <laughs> uh, your argument uh, for that line, Adam, is is why I'm willing to vote for it. Um, and plus, you know, I mean, unless we're voting for Conklin just being the ultimate prick in this movie, then, you know, that's pretty much <laughs> the best line. <laughs> I, I kind of want to give special consideration to I'm on my own side now. I kind of want to put that in a resignation letter if I ever quit a job. Yeah. <laughs> just like, hey, I'm abandoning this, you know, like put in my two weeks, whatever, and it's like end it with like I'm on my own side now. That's beautiful. So See, and that's that's really good too because like he is on his own side for the next uh few movies too. And he, he knows who he is and he's in control the entire time. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. So uh that was fairly easy actually. Um now we'll go on to the uh, the Lou Brown Give Him the Heater Award for the best performance by a bit player. Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. Um, I'll let you guys uh, nominate uh, yours, and I'll give you mine. Um, for me, this one was easy, and it's Clive Owen. He's on the screen for like five minutes of this movie. Yeah, and he's fourth and- build. He's fucking awesome the whole time. Mm-hmm. So it's, he's the only one that I have um, as my give him the heater. Like, I'm not very – I know that we're supposed to nominate certain different people uh, each week. But for me, this one was just Clive Owen. We don't have to nominate people every week. I just do it mostly to kind of have a spirited conversation. We don't have to do it. We don't have a, we don't have a formula or, like, a set of rules that we have to follow. I add categories to this all the time, and we never see them again. So that's fair. Uh, Adam, do you have anybody uh, you would like to nominate before? Um, well, I like Conklin's character. He's in the movie a lot more than uh, most people, but he's not in a whole bunch of the movie. And plus, he's just a really big douchebag, and I really like that about him. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that's and- why you guys are friends with me. <laughs> yeah, Lucas is our Conklin. <laughs> 
I'll just uh, hang a fucking banner. I also like Abbott, uh, Brian Cox's character. He's really good. Uh, I, I don't know why I like him uh, as a villain, but any movie he's a villain in uh, is great. Um, Brian Cox and- is awesome. Uh, if you guys get a chance, uh, he's on a show on HBO called Succession, and he's fucking mm-hmm. amazing in it. The show's really good. But yeah. yeah, definitely check that out with him. And, uh, of course, Clive Owen. I mean, he's great in this movie. And he's only in it for like five minutes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Clive Owen's my winner too. Um, I almost kind of think that if this movie, if they knew they were making sequels to this movie, I think you don't see him get killed off. Like I could easily see him being like in the background for like the next mm-hmm. couple of movies. Like, and then like basically it comes to a head in like the ultimatum. Yeah. I, I kind I'm kind of glad they killed him off though because his death carries weight in this movie and I think that it it sticks because Jason Bourne says that he remembers the faces of all the people that they killed at a, a certain point in the movie or it might be the next movie but he even like repeats the line that he says to him and he kind of like bonds with them there for a second because you know he has headaches too and you know that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think it's the headlights at night. <laughs> when are you guys riding a motorcycle right now? I'm not. It must be Adam. Um, there's a motorcycle outside of my house. It's okay. <laughs> I'll cut it out. Ah, fuck it. Leave it in there. Sounds cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Say, so, hey, man, I'm trying to record here. Can you shut the bike off for a minute? <laughs> it's not going to get too late either way. Um, I. Like, doing the research on this, like, whatever happened to Clive Owen? I don't know. He had a pretty good run there for a while. He was, He's a really good actor. Yeah, yeah he was uh, He was in this. Uh, I know for a long time he was rumored to play James Bond, like, before they cast Daniel Craig. There was a, uh, there was a girl that I worked with that her and I talked about all the time how awesome would be for Clive Owen to be James Bond. It's hard to argue that. He would be a pretty good James Bond. And then, like, he was in uh, Children of Men, which is probably one of the... Oh, Jesus. That was probably one of the best movies of the last 20 years, I think. I could, Yeah, that came out in the 2000s. Uh, then he was in Closer. Then he was in Inside Man, which is an awesome heist movie, which we're going to be doing at some point. I really like Inside Man. Yeah. Denzel Washington in a heist movie. Fucking sold. But then, like, he Give just kind of... Denzel Washington for anything. Yeah. And then he just kind of fell off the map. Like he was doing like those BMW commercials. Yeah. Then I know he did a, like he had a run of like, with the exception of Shoot 'Em Up, which I fucking love because it's essentially like a live action cartoon. But he had a really bad run of like shitty action movies, and I don't know if it's just the fact that he just kept choosing bad roles and like they quit casting him and stuff. But I like to see a Clive Owen comeback. Love the dude. He's like one of my favorite actors of this like the last twenty twenty five years, and like. I think he deserves better. He's better than what he's been doing. Right. I just looked him up, and it looks like the last few things he did was uh, uh, American Crime Story. Um, plays William Jefferson Clinton and a few episodes on that. Whoa, hold uh, on a minute. He's playing Bill Clinton in... in... Yeah. No way. <laughs> All Those yeah. are the Ryan Murphy shows on FX, aren't they? Because yeah. I know that they did the OJ one, and then they did, uh, didn't they do one for, 
some fashion designer too and now this one mm-hmm. yeah and uh he was himself on curb your enthusiasm <laughs> really yeah i don't think and i've gotten that far on that show yet is this show any good it's all i love it but it's in my wheelhouse of humor oh okay either you like it or you don't it's done by the same guy that does seinfeld uh, it's I not not like it. not same. It's not the same thing, but. So yeah, he's uh, he's a TV actor now. Apparently. Come on, somebody big like Scorsese cast him in something, or Chris Chris oh, Nolan. Man. Chris Nolan needs to put him in a movie. And either one of those directors, I would fucking eat that shit up. Mm. I think he's perfect for those two. Yeah. So come on, get Clive Owen some good good stuff again. I know there's three dudes that miss him. We got a Clive Owen hard on right now. And now I have a motorcycle outside my house. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to do uh, Inside Man sooner rather than later. I'm fine with that. Get some more Clive Owen in. Um, we brought this award out a couple of weeks ago. We didn't use it last week. But uh, make it a comeback. It's the Eric Stoltz Award for the performer that you would recast. Uh I chose Atawale Akanoi Obazi. Abaje. I probably butchered his name, and I feel fucking bad about this. It seems like that's a recurring theme every week is somebody's name gets fucked up by me. <laughs> it's a running play- gag at this point. <laughs> yeah. Plays Wambosi. Yeah, he <laughs> plays Wambosi. Um, I didn't care for his performance because it seems like he is just dialed up to like 11 the entire time he's in this. There's some times where, hey, you can bring this down a little bit, dude. Uh, I kind of wanted to see like maybe like Idris Elba. I think he would have been good. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. He was, uh, I think a few months later, he starts The Wire. So he was like acting at that time. So that's probably who I would recast was him with Idris Elba. Plus Idris Elba is awesome. Uh, sure. Do you guys have a nominee for this? Um, the same one that you have. I'm not going to try to butcher his name. Okay, you're <laughs> just going to let me fuck up names all the time? All right, here we go. Adewale, Akinyue, Agbaje. You know what's sad is I actually have his name broken down phonetic, phonetically, and I've, I'm going to start doing that for every name I'm not sure how to pronounce. <laughs> and I still fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's perfect. So, uh, Adam, do you have anybody you'd like to nominate for this? Uh, I don't have anybody. Uh, I will go with uh, I will go with Wombosi, and we'll recast him. Um, uh, your your pick for the recast is perfect, though. I don't think I can pick anybody better. So, Lucas, do you have anybody that you would pick to play him instead of the Mister Echo from Lost? Uh. Let me think on it um, while we go on to another category. Well, we're almost to the end, so you have to choose now. Then I have nobody. Okay. <laughs> Way to come prepared, Lucas. <laughs> I sent you my notes, and you still <laughs> you Dude, still came I up. I actually did. I did prepare for this movie really hard. You did. Like, you sent me a screenshot earlier. It says uh, note-taking, and he had, like, like, his computer screen with, like, notes and uh, you had bullet points broken down, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he he went fucking hard in the paint for this one. 
about to do a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> uh, I was actually expecting it with slides. Maybe for the next episode, we'll do slides. Gotta have Let me get my clicker out. You gotta get uh, some clip art in there, make it good to look at. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the last word, uh, we finally decided on a name. I don't know if it'll stick. We've got two possible nominees. We'll test drive this one, see if people like it. If not, we'll try the other one. I'm it, the king of the world. Yep, it's the I'm Woo! the king of the world award for uh, who wins the movie. Uh, Adam, who's your uh, your nominee? Uh, for this one, I'm gonna have to say um, I'm gonna have to say Matt Damon, and I hate saying the star of the movie every time, but he's great in this movie. I don't think I like. Yeah, Brad Pitt could have been Jason Bourne or. Um, Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Burt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think he's a really good pick because, you know, um, he just, he's so down to earth. I think he's just really relatable. And, mm. like, he gets beat up in this movie. He doesn't know who he is. Yeah, he has all these cool, like, abilities and everything, but he's not in control at first. And I, I like that. Mm. Um, Lucas, I know in our discussions you had somebody possibly different. So who do you have? Yeah, I have three. Um, one of them is Matt Damon. Um, <laughs> but also I have the director, Doug Lyman, for, mm. you know, personally flying out to get the rights to this movie, which is fucking awesome. And um, this was Adam's best bit player, uh, or one of them, uh, Chris Cooper. Um, I thought he was really fantastic in this movie. I believed him as a really good bad guy. Yeah. And a greaseball CIA <laughs> agent. So, mm -hmm. um, I have those three to nominate. Um, I went with Matt Damon. Uh, you touched on it. Uh, this is kind of what I had is, uh, he feels more grounded in reality than James Bond, who I think is kind of like the comparison for Jason Bourne. Just because like those are like Bond's the more like the most iconic spy franchise of all time. Yeah. Um, and I, I like his portrayal actually caught, I, I think is the reason why uh, Bond changed gears. Like it's kind of more of a, a grittier take on him now than it used to be. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I would give it to him simply for his portrayal. And I think without Jason Bourne, we wouldn't have Casino Royale or Skyfall. Yeah, which I'm and very glad taken. And, yeah, so I I would give it to him, just because like he seems like he's not like Matt Damon's not an ugly guy by any stretch, but like you know like J women flock to James Bond. James Bond has all these gadgets, whereas and he doesn't really give a shit whether he kills people or not or if he hurts anybody's feelings. But Jason Bourne. Like you can really see like the weight of what he's done like in his face. That's I think that's kind of hard to do. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I was gonna say he he gets on the boat. You know he doesn't kill Wambosi because of the children being there. Yeah, which I think you know, even though he's a an assassin, he still feels relatable. You know, just because yeah, he's human. I mean, how many people would walk up to somebody and fucking shoot him? in front of their kids, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's why I'd give it to him. 
I don't think this movie works as well with anybody else. As cool as it would be to think of Brad Pitt, and Spy Game is actually a really cool spy movie, but it's not. Yeah. It's kind of forgettable. Like, until I did the research, I kind of forgot about Spy Game. Whereas, like, the Bourne movies are pretty synonymous with this this decade. Even the last decade, too. So, yeah, that's my winner. I do want to throw a uh, a shout out or like an honorable mention to uh, John Powell, who did the score for the movie. Because every time you hear those violins at the beginning of every Bourne movie, you're just like, yep, it's about to go down. Yeah, especially like when he's walking out of the bank. Like after yeah. I'd seen this, if I was in a hurry to walk somewhere, I kind of had that playing in my head. <laughs> <laughs> it got it, it caused me to that. walk faster. Can I just say that I love that you give love to the uh, to the music all the time? I mean, we know we know your affinity for uh, for Star Wars music and Indiana Jones, and I think the soundtracks to movies are an integral part of the cinematic experience, for sure. That is well, we devoted a whole section to John Williams in our Raiders episode. Did you? Mm-hmm. Nice. Oh yeah, that's right. You weren't here. You had a baby. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, if, if if memory serves correctly, I believe that uh, one Russ gave me uh, the option to take some time off and then gave me shit when I did. Hey, you said you were ready to rock and roll after two weeks and then, like, you couldn't make it again. <laughs> That's fair. So, all right. So, uh, you guys have any last thoughts on uh, Bourne before we wrap this up? Um, no, like you said, it, it's a, it's a great action movie that feels different than stuff before it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of changed the, the scene after it. Um, and Matt Damon, um, Chris Cooper, Clive Owen, they're all believable. And I, I know I've said this before, but that's what you want in your movie. You want to, if it's a, if it's a movie where you're trying to feel that connection to, you know, a human that's on the screen. This, this is a great example of that. And all the actors are fantastic in this movie. Right. Adam, any last thoughts? Uh, yeah, just bouncing off of what Lucas said, like this, this modernized the, uh, the cold war European kind of spy movie, uh, to what it should be. And, um, I think that, uh, going forward, like movies, uh, in general, spy movies in general have become more grounded, uh, because of it and um, even like uh, cinematography like the way that the movies are shot um, are influenced by this one I think just a little bit just because everything in this movie was um, for the most part captured in camera and um, and it was really really cool to see uh, something like that again in the movies and I think that um, it added to the reality of it mm-hmm. Yeah, like, uh, for me, it was just, like, kind of going back to, like, yeah, just them feeling, like, more grounded in reality. Like, I think that they kind of changed the way action movies have been portrayed. Well, now it's, like, pretty much you're going to Netflix unless you're a superhero movie. But, uh, yeah, I think the legacy of this, like, this is probably one of the last great non, like, superhero franchises we're going to get for a while. Yeah. I mean, especially after coming out of the pandemic, like really, I don't foresee movies like this coming onto the big screen for a while. So 
we always have these to look back on. Yep. I think the closest thing we get is, is John Wick, but yeah, John Wick would be about it. Yeah. But even then he's kind of more of a superhero. Like he's becoming more like a superhero now too. So yeah. Right. So, Which I'm okay with because I still love those movies. Those movies are good. That wraps up this week's episode of the Couch Potato Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media. Uh, shoot us a review on Apple if you are inclined to do so. Lucas, uh, what are we doing next Monday? Russ, we are doing Wayne Stock. So we are doing a combination of Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2, and we're doing it as a two-parter. Oh, you get a double dose of us uh, next Monday. That ought to be fun. Or really you're, bad. You're welcome, world. <laughs> or really bad. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we release episodes every Monday. Uh, be sure to follow us so you don't miss an episode. So until next Monday, see you, everybody. Deuces.